0: If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation dash lab. If you'd like to learn more about my book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at magicalmeetings.com. Today, I'm with Leah Fleischner, a certified executive coach, facilitator, and startup advisor. Welcome to the show, Leah.
1: Hi, thank you, Douglas, for having me.
0: Absolutely, it's so good to have you on the show. And as usual, I'd love to get started here with just hearing a little bit about your origins. How did you get started in this work as a facilitator and coach and advisor?
1: Well, I think that it honestly began far before my career began. Uh, I'm the daughter of a third-generation uh, business owner, and my father has a jewelry store uh, that he recently sold. Um, and both my parents worked together, and so uh, around the dinner table, we often were talking about what we were what we did that day, and my parents were. <laughs> having business conversations across the table. And I just, I think I had a a lens into the challenges that leaders can have, and also like the hopes and dreams that they have with their business. And so that's kind of where it all began. And then uh, my career in startups, uh, actually I kind of accidentally fell into. I was really passionate about nonprofits and I started working at uh, an organization here in Austin called the Entrepreneurs Foundation. Uh, which was how I ended up learning about startups at the very beginning. And then I went to work for a company called Verb. But Entrepreneurs Foundation was actually where I learned about coaching uh, because my uh, CEO hired an executive coach for himself. And then the coach actually came in and sat down with our team and we did like a Myers-Briggs assessment. And so I just remember that I was sitting across the table from this, this uh, executive coach and I thought to myself is this a job like this is a thing that people do this is like a psychologist or something for businesses and so I asked her to coffee uh, and she fortunately uh, was open to that and I talked to her and she basically said that I needed to have uh, more experience <laughs> before I became a coach and I, I think I humored that for a few more years and uh, was in the startup world for a few more years and then I worked for two other startups after that and as soon as that last startup was struggling and um, i moved on from it i got my coaching certification so that's where my coaching certification came from and then facilitation actually came from while i was in those startups i was doing design thinking workshops and things like that within one of the startups that i was working for and fell in love with facilitation as well
0: yeah, it's not uncommon to find folks that are enamored with facilitation and drawn to coaching at the same time.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of like the best of both worlds. Like I love coaching because I love the power of that container that you have with one other person and how much movement and momentum you can get in a session. And I love facilitation because I have an extroverted side to me that loves being in group dynamics and Loves the disruption that can happen. Um, specifically, I think around some of the methodologies that I've been trained in, I Think Wrong methodology, uh, and which I know you're familiar with, and a couple others that uh, I just was able to be. Um, especially with with my work at Verb, I, that was focused on social entrepreneurship, and I was able to be in these facilitation sessions that were very focused on socially focused, impactful ideas. And seeing the aha moments that leaders had that really cared about those topics.
0: So going back to that moment where you were there with Eugene, I'm familiar with the Entrepreneurs Foundation. So when you were talking about your CEO, I was like, oh, she's Eugene brought in a coach. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) And so back in that moment where you were there, what do you think was the most compelling pieces for you? Like what drew you in the most? When you were like, oh, is this a job? And can you do this? And what was, what about it? What about that experience? Uh,
1: well, listen, I was a psychology anthropology major in college. So <laughs> I have always been just fascinated with people and culture and why we do the things we do and why we don't and how how we change. And I think that I also, and maybe this is because of my upbringing, I also had this sort of connection to business and to like professionalism. And, and I think I saw how personal it was, you know, I heard so often like that, you know, there was a separation between business and things, you know, business and personal. But I mean, for, for my dad, like it was my great grandfather, his grandfather who started the business in the early 1920s. And it was, it was personal. And so I think that there was, and I had never heard of coaching or anything like that before. So maybe that was part of it was this sort of aha moment of, Oh, I can, I can help businesses. I can help leaders, but also I am an employee and I know the struggles of working um, in a business and not having good leaders or having leaders that aren't as good. And I can um, help the quality of life of those leaders as well through, through coaching.
0: You know, it brings up the idea of work-life balance as well, listening to you talk there. And I've been a believer for a long time that we spend so much time in work when you really just add up all the hours that we're working. Mm-hmm. Even if we are, you know, doing less than 40 hours a week, you know, it still adds up to a ton of time when you when you look at the number of days you're working versus the days you're off, et cetera. And when people are doing the, their best work, they're they're leaning into passion projects. They're they're doing work they're proud of. Mm-hmm. So it really does represent a big part of life. You know this Absolutely. this thing doing this thing you're proud of, and I feel like the whole notion of work life balance is assuming that we're part of some capital system where you know the worker's getting exploited and you're gonna taken advantage of and. I feel that coaches can play a real big role in helping people find pride in their work, finding work that's meaningful, and really making a difference so that things start to blend a little bit more. We still take care of ourselves. And we still find moments of healing. And we don't let the job run us down. But also, like, does it have to be totally separate?
1: Right. It's an interesting question. I I mean, I don't Think that it has to be totally separate. I mean, I think that we've learned over the last couple of years during COVID that it is inherently not separate, <laughs> that the only thing that really separated us was a building or that commute that we had, um, that took us home or took us to work. And I think that with this, you know, they hear the phrase great resignation that leaders and employees are, are really have an opportunity to pause and to reflect on what's working and what's not working. And I think that the best leaders are conscious of it themselves and how they've shown up and what they've learned about themselves over the last few years and how they want to do that differently and perhaps how they want to change their employees' work lives around that as well, because the employees are doing it already. You know, like there is a huge shift in mental health and, and how people are protecting themselves. And so... There are a lot of, or there are constructs, I think, um, specifically around value versus time that we could explore and specific businesses. I mean, I think that not everyone has the luxury of that, but there are certain type like tech companies and things like that, that I think there's a lot of opportunity to find a better balance and sort of pave the way.
0: So certainly hearing that a lot from clients and colleagues, (laughs) you know, and someone just today was saying that is hybrid just the waiting room for companies as they figure out like, are we staying remote? Are we shifting back in person? And I guess I'm really curious, you know, what are you seeing as far as the clients and leaders you're working with? Where are their heads at as far as where they want to be long-term and, or do they even know yet?
1: Um, well, I think it depends on the industry that you're talking to. Um, some industries have more ability to, to be, have a flexible work environment than others. And then also what the competition is. Like, I mean, there are certain, certain tech companies and things like that, that are working really hard to listen to their employees around remote work and trying to meet that request. But I think that the companies that are doing it the best are being overly communicative and also not not making any promises that this is the way something's going to stay. Um, it's very iterative and very inclusive, and they are checking in, and they're trying to do it sort of in a slow pace and saying, okay, well, we're going to try it this way, maybe have certain days a week that you, um, we would like you to be in the office unless you have specific reasons why you can't be in the office anymore. And that's one thing. But I think that the other part, too, is going to be about how – there's an inclusivity of those employees that have chosen not to be at work and how they're able to still do their job well and be seen as a good employee um, with their managers. And that's gonna be something that I wish I had an answer to. I'm extremely curious about it. <laughs> and um, Listen, I actually just listened to a, another podcast about it the other day with Brene Brown. So I, um, I think that it's the best way to do it though is gonna be very everyone being very open and less focused on productivity and more focused on, well, I say that, I'm going to take that back. I guess what you define as productivity, like what is that definition? Is productivity time? That goes back to like, is productivity about time or is it about quality quality of time? Like the quality of work that you're getting from your employee, or is it about them being like heads down and at their desk and doing work all day?
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because I personally never thought of that as even a COVID question, (laughs) you know, since the formation of voltage control five years ago, I've always been of the mindset that, Hey, we need to get this done. Mm -hmm. Let me know when you have like the first prototype or let me know when you need feedback. And, you know, even if they're, they're, whether they're contractors or employees, I pretty much treat them the same as just a matter of, like, are they dedicated to us or are they working on other stuff? You know, do I need to check with yeah. them? Uh, you know, there, some of the rules of engagement change slightly, but but ultimately, you know, it's, I don't really care if they <laughs> do it at 2am or two in the afternoon.
1: Right. Well, I think that that's also like, it, it It takes, everyone's wired differently. And I think that's also what we learned through this as well. And I think that some of us who have are more cu- like you, myself, who are more curious about the space, aren't necessarily shocked by it. But now it's becoming more mainstream, which I think is a good thing. But not everyone is wired to be autonomous. And like I, I work really well with autonomy. In fact, I prefer it, but um, it's why I have my own business. <laughs> but, you know, not everyone, some people need more structure. But it's, it should be a process that I think is very much like a work, work in progress and defining what works for different people in different ways. I think that startups inherently attract more autonomous, self-starting people and people who are comfortable building the plane while flying it, less process, you know, process oriented, but comfortable with the process isn't there yet. Uh, whereas, you know, someone who's in a more corporate environment, maybe they have that side of themselves, but they've never really been able to express it because the um, structure of the business itself isn't really conducive to that because mm-hmm. uh, it is very bureaucratic or, you know, different things like that.
0: Yeah, you know, the structures had to be redefined. It reminds me of in kind a of software development. And one example is the movement to DevOps. And, you know, shifting from a, hey, let's create a build and test the heck out of it and then put it in production and more of a, hey, let's let's continuously deploy these things into production and let's think about systems that allow us to monitor and, mm. and run operations as if it's software. Let's, let's program those things. And you could argue that, like, oh, that's way easier for startups than big corporates to start to do those things. But I think it's more about legacy systems mm. that were built to not support the new way of doing things. Because if you look at like big companies have been able to successfully deploy to production in real time. In fact, they're, Google's really, really good at it because they have a lot of really smart people that built a lot of fancy tools.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: but what where people struggle is when they have legacy systems. Even if it's a 10-person startup, if you're writing on code mm-hmm. that was written assuming certain things, it's going to be really hard to work inside of a different paradigm.
1: Yeah, well, and I think our legacy system... Right now, it, that's what we're in. Right now, we're, we're in a legacy system, and we're needing to move out of it. And there's going to be some challenges and some pitfalls. And that's why I think that we have leaders have this opportunity to really own up to that and be forward facing with it with their employees um, and notice themselves throughout the process. And it's it's tough because we are coming out of a lot of uncertainty. So. You know, there is some comfort in falling back into the way things were, um, I think, especially for those leaders who have been in their positions for a long time or are at, at the end of their careers, but it's a, it's a missed opportunity to create something that's more sustainable for the future because we have a younger generation that's coming in that, I mean, even younger. I mean, if we think about those who are in high school who spent time learning through homeschooling and things like that, I mean, that's a they're going to be expecting something different as well.
0: And they're going to have ideas that are going to blow our minds (laughs) because they're sitting there thinking, this is horrible, can't it be another way?
1: Yes, yeah, exactly.
0: You know, it also reminds me of just the need to consider the mental health impacts of all of this because you mentioned just how sustainable it might be or better rethinking the systems could be. But it's not just about better productivity and more cohesive teams, healthier teams, but it's also the individual and how is their internal mental state?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I truly believe that we're at this place where mental health is at the forefront of our businesses and, and that goes with our employees and the leaders. And I think that you know, words like emotions <laughs> are going to come in more. And actually, um, I heard recently that Ray Brown does this thing with her staff where before each meeting, they say the emotion that they're coming in with. And that's just like something they're like, how are you feeling? And that's every, every remote meeting they do that. And then it, they don't, no one responds to the emotion, but they just share the emotion. And then they move on with their day, but it's also an opportunity for after the fact, if you want to check in with someone who maybe said something that you resonated with or something that unsettled you, you know, that you have the opportunity to do that. And I think that that's going to be more and more important with a hybrid work environment because you're going to have people who are not going to be coming into work and might not feel safe to, to share things and might not have time to share things. But it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a vulnerability, but those are the ways that and, and I think that leaders have to kind of, they, they start with it. They're the ones who kind of can pave the way if they, if they share their vulnerabilities and how they've experienced things first.
0: Icebreakers are an interesting topic for us facilitators, <laughs> you know, especially, you know, when you're training facilitators, it's one of those things that everyone hears and gets excited about when they're brand new and, you know, the efficacy of them has to be really considered in the moment. And I think the one you describe with the emotion is so simple, And so purposeful, Mm -hmm. you know, because we really want to make sure we're just understanding where everyone's at. And it's one of those things where, you know, you do that and everyone understands why we did it. Yeah. I think that's the hallmark of a well-placed icebreaker or well-placed intervention like that.
1: Well, and it's also really uh, on a totally different level. Like there's these, my fiance, he is in the design world and he's a creative director. And um, something that's coming up in, in that world is about, like, using words like gaslighting or something. And as a creative director, his role is to come in and give feedback on what's working and what's not working. And it, there's certain terminology that I think is coming into the, and, and I don't have an answer to this, I just think it's a fascinating subject of semantics, semantics and uh, semantics, I should say, and also how words matter and how we're having to really look at them in a different way in the workplace. Because if a creative director maybe gets accused of gaslighting, that's interesting. Like where where is the line of when it's gaslighting and when it's doing the role of giving direction on a project specifically to, for a designer, which is like a very emotional thing. And you get, as a designer, you learn how to take feedback and all those. So it's, it's, um, it, the world of ambiguity is alive and well <laughs> in business world.
0: Well, you know, that's, I think, the number one reason why facilitation and this work matters so much, because at the end of the day, when we're talking about humans, we're talking about complex systems, and how do we navigate those unknowable outcomes? And it's interesting, to say the least. And it's a nice segue into something that you had mentioned in the pre-show chat, and I want to kind of shift gears to that and talk a little bit about, you know, these competencies as leaders, because you mentioned a really interesting article and how it kind of laid out some competencies and kind of modeled them on a spectrum. It's really interesting, and it seems to align with a lot of your work. So um, how has that tool served in your work?
1: Sure. Well, I might just t- talk a little bit more about the the tool itself first, and then kind of work backwards from that to your question. But essentially, it's it, it's 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 an article that I read. I, I have a couple of different things that I've read um, around masculine, feminine in the workplace, and balancing your masculine, feminine as a leader. And first and foremost, what I want to separate out of that is gender, because I think gender is where we sometimes get tied up into different sort of archetypes of how leaders are when in reality, gender should not be the main focus of how you lead. And I think that that's something that we're working away from. But if I change the words to kind of take us out of the masculine feminine frame of mind and the female male (laughs) frame of mind, I'd say like, the feminine is the magician and the masculine is the warrior. And those are kind of two archetypes that are used in union and um, different types of um, work that readings that I've read of archetypes. So with that, I would say that this this article lays out that there are about 28, I believe, 27, 28 leadership competencies, and it shows the feminine expression and the masculine expression. And how that ties to my work is that I sometimes will be coaching someone and I'll notice that they are sort of sharing some of the challenges that they're having and like how they, how they want to be a better leader. Oftentimes I hear a lot, um, improve executive presence, like... Whatever that means, <laughs> you know, um, improve your executive presence. And, and I think that really that just means like be authentically yourself as a leader and be confident in yourself. And I think as, you know, as women, we are oftentimes told that that's supposed to be a really specific way. And I mean, I think for, for, for example, I remember receiving feedback at one point when I was working for an organization that I needed to interrupt more in meetings and that I wasn't, that I needed to, to, to speak in a more uh, assertive way. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't like to interrupt. Like I like to listen and I like to, and that's why I'm a coach. <laughs> and I like to like wait and observe and see how information is going and then respond to it. And so there's all different ways to be leaders in an authentic way that's right for you. But I think part of that is like stepping into where you're naturally like balanced and where when you're out of balance. So these leadership competencies really help with that. And an example I'll give is I had a leader who uh, was moving up within their organization and they had just done a 360 review and one of the feedback that they had received was that from their peers, excuse me, not their peers, the people that they were managing, that they didn't have as much opportunity for growth because this manager was kind of taking projects back or like not really letting them fully own the project. And then simultaneously, the same person who I was coaching was getting feedback that they needed to be more, and um, you know, they can't see me on the podcast, but I'm doing air quotes, like more strategic, which <laughs> is, not really helpful feedback unless you really go into what that means. But in this case with this leader, what we sort of uncovered was that they had, and I'm intentionally not saying their gender to take away from this, but um, they had throughout this period of time gotten really good at multitasking and moved up in their company with their ability to multitask. Well, the shadow side of multitasking is micromanaging. And I think that they were being protective or they were sort of protecting their team from maybe people um, higher up by making sure that they did it the way that they thought it would be successful and not really letting them fully own the project. And once they had that realization, they realized that, oh, if I gave my team more ownership, that would give me more ability to be more directive, be more clear and let go and move into projects that are wider in scope and are more strategic, putting it in quotes again. So that's a good example of someone who was maybe doing the negative side of feminine expression um, with multitasking. And then another example I'll give is, I don't have a specific example for this with a person I coached, but another example in the competencies is listening. So listening is something that every leader ideally would be good at. Um I think we all know leaders who aren't very good at it. But what does it mean to be a good listener? Well, in this, it actually shows the masculine expression of listening and the feminine expression of listening. And the masculine or the feminine is to listen with the intention to integrate. And the masculine is to listen with the intention to decide what is integrated. So um, there's inherently a almost like Egoic part to that where you are sort of blocking and deciding what of that am I going to receive and take as data? And what of that am I just going to kind of not listen to? An example I would give is if, let's say, someone says, Hey, I, your employee comes in and says, Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to finish that project for you today. My son is sick and I have to, I have to leave work early, but I'll have it for you first thing tomorrow. A person who's listening with a feminine expression would notice that that person shared that their son was sick, might like want to comment on that, ask, do you need more time, something like that, and integrate with that person. Someone who's listening with a masculine expression might just hear, okay, he doesn't, he's not going to have it to me today. He's going to have it to me tomorrow. That's all I need to know.
0: I was thinking about language and feminine masculine shows up in language, Mm -hmm. quite a few languages. And it wasn't, it was not that long ago that I learned that in quite a few Native American languages, uh, we don't see that feminine masculine construct and it's the <laughs> animate and inanimate. Mm. And it made me really think deeply about how much these constructs impact the way that we think and interact with the world.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, from the time that we're little, little babies, I mean, there are certain ways of, you know, I, I like you see children ha- falling into that all the time, and I think that it absolutely comes into a lot of different areas of our lives. It's a lot of shoulds. I think it's a lot of like sh- that I, I would I would describe it, especially when when coaching is is you hear a should, and then you you're like, well, where is that should coming from? Where is the story behind why you feel like you need to show up that way? Is that something that you've heard? Is that something that, is that a story that you're telling yourself? Is that a story someone else told you? You know, because I went, I went through a period of my career where I felt like I was like truly too nice. I mean, that was actually, I think what started me into the masculine and feminine work was that I worked for a primarily female led company, female led and a lot of women in the organization, which I was really excited about and proud of. And then I found it to be a very catty environment and a very, and almost like threw me back to like middle school. And I kept thinking to myself, wait, am I too, and I would, I would be told like, oh, like you're too nice or you're too this and, or too kind. I think that was sort of like, oh, Leia's so kind. She wouldn't, it was almost like strange for that to be an insult. I don't think they meant it as an insult, but it was definitely a, I don't know. It just, it, it, it really affected me at that time. And then I know I've mentioned Brene Brown a couple of times. I, I'm big, big fan obviously, but I read her book Rising Strong and I had this aha moment when I realized like that, you know, boundaries were compassion. And that was when I changed my version of being kind from maybe being more like people pleasing to being, to moving into this different phase of, being kind and being authentically myself but it sort of i think is what took me into this this whole world that i work in
0: so coming back to the the competencies i'm kind of curious how that shows up or you know any advice you might have to leaders if they check out the show notes and see the competencies mm-hmm. how might they use that as a tool to I don't know, examine their own behaviors and, and just maybe their own self-improvement.
1: Well, I think that, uh, first and foremost, I'd say get, get a coach. <laughs> uh, um, uh, that's, that's always a good place, uh, to, to start with, with looking at competencies. Um, I also think that different types of tests can also give you some of the information that you see within these competencies. So like there's, I think it's a, the positive intelligence test is a really great one that talks about sort of these different archetypes that you can fall into. And I think that, you know, you can see more where you're maybe, maybe out, of, tend to fall out of balance. Like, For me, for example, I took that positive intelligence test and and then I've taken the Enneagram. I'm a two on the Enneagram. And then I got in the positive intelligence test, I got Pleaser as my number one saboteur. And it's not a coincidence. Those are pretty similar. If you maybe get Challenger on the Enneagram and get, I think there's one that I can't remember. It's like Tenacity or I can't remember right now. But there are certain themes that you can see within these things. And what I would say is, If something sort of, you know, stings a little bit, (laughs) if it feels like it stings true, that's what I say sometimes uh, to clients. If it feels a little bit uncomfortable and feels like something that, you know, you're not quite ready to look at, maybe it's not the right time to look at it, but there's something there. There's something there that is worth exploring. It's it's probably one of your blinders um, in how you lead. And I think also giving yourself grace with it as well, because we all have them. It's not, no one is perfect and no one is, um, I mean, I think the best leaders are the ones that are constantly working on themselves and realize that it's an iterative process. So, yeah, that's where I'd begin.
0: Awesome. So, where does this all end up? You know, if more leaders lean into, you know, finding coaches and having conversations and explorations of these nature, you know, what does that mean? What does that create in the world?
1: Well, I think that the world is, I mean, it's, it's an uncertain place no matter what. (laughs) But I think that particularly right now, we, we tend to be living in um, a continuum of uncertainty that's very much like right in front of our nose. And so I, I feel really strongly that coaching and um doing facilitation, like having having difficult conversations, having um looking at problems, whether it's trying to solve a problem with the product that you're presenting, trying to get past being stuck within a certain, you know, revenue model, or if you like seem like you can't move past a certain way place in your business. Um, if you feel like you're losing your team, uh, if you're losing people in your team, you know, we have this whole great resignation that is going on. This is the opportunity to look within, and that's both looking within yourself, but also looking within your organization. Like you're not necessarily going to find all the answers by um, talking about externally the things that are going wrong, like supply chain issues or COVID. Those are the things that we can't change. But the opportunities to move forward and move forward with grace and um, show your team how to do that as well, I believe is through some of these different methodologies.
0: So as we come to a close, I want to give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a final thought.
1: I think that my final thought would be that, as I mentioned before, we're in uncertain times. We have been living in legacy systems and this is our opportunity to move out of that. And it's a really exciting time. And if you're someone like myself and probably like you, Douglas, who likes ambiguity and likes that sort of time of change, then this is the moment to step up and bring that into your organization, bring that into your work and change the legacy system because we can make a new one. It's it's very, very possible. And all we have to do is be courageous and confident in what we want.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you and really looking forward to talking again sometime soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. If you want to know more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about radical inclusion, team health, and working better. VoltageControl.com.